You're listening to a mini episode of the Knowledge from the Couch podcast. Thanks for listening. Welcome to a mini episode. We haven't done one of these in a while. Hey, a mini episode of the Knowledge from the Couch podcast. I am Kyle, still your host after so many episodes. How's it going, guys? This is, uh, I told you on the last podcast, I said it, that I was going to record a mini episode and make it come out this week, despite being busy studying for my boards test. This is, as I, as I noted in previous talkings with all 30 of you, that you know, this is one, this is something I like to do to sort of de-stress. You can only you can only look at a question or a series of questions, you know, just over and over and over and over again before just your your brain turns to total rot. And I decided that this was going to definitely be a week where I could pop down a mini episode because it wouldn't take me a ton of time to record. Uh, I had this guy in mind after having heard this story. Uh, a, a year, year and a half ago on a, on a different podcast, and I said, well, I think I can tell that story on my own podcast and get my own little spin on it. It's a fun one. It's an easy one. Uh, yeah, nothing nothing too crazy this week, guys. This is, this is a mini episode, so I'm not going to bore you too hard with the details about my life for this one. We want to keep this one reasonably short. I think we can actually keep this one actually short. I, uh... I have a, a tendency to to say that something's going to be short, and then it ends up being an hour long. Uh, I don't think this one is going to be like that, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll definitely see at the end of this podcast at hour, you know, three, that, oops, I fucked up. But, no, this, this guy doesn't have a whole ton to talk about life-wise. It's, it's less about who this guy was during his life and more about, who this guy was and what was transpiring at the end of his life. Unfortunately, we are going to talk in our mini episode today about durable Mike Malloy or sometimes known as the Rasputin of the Bronx. So without further ado, we're only like two minutes into this thing and we're already getting the episode. I know it's crazy. Let's talk a little bit about durable Mike Malloy. And 
curious and strange and interesting case of durable or iron Mike Malloy. Now, like I said in the intro, this story isn't quite so interesting because of Mike Malloy himself. In fact, he's really just sort of he's really just sort of the the linchpin of how ridiculous the story really is, but we can say that he definitely earned his nickname. Now, Mike Malloy uh, was a guy, uh, just a regular dude, uh, an Irishman, uh, a Donegalman, who, like a lot of people at the time, a lot of Irish immigrants, especially at the time, had been a guy who was working in heavy industry in the early 20th century, you know, uh, uh, in the eastern part of the United States. And, and for a while, you know, for, for people who are, you know, not terribly well educated, not, you know, just willing to work hard, willing to just work and and do whatever they're going to do. Things were good for people like this. Then a little thing called the Great Depression hit the United States. And oh, by the way, during the Great Depression, also prohibition was still going on. So it, it, it was a really bad time for a guy like Mike Malloy, who basically had been working in heavy industry at this point in his life before, kind of in the the engineering sector, and then all of a sudden found himself extremely jobless and really nowhere to go, like a lot of people did during this time. And very unfortunately for, for Mike, he basically was this real hardcore alcoholic, and it was tough to find alcohol. Uh, well, not necessarily tough to find alcohol during Prohibition, just... You just had to be a little bit more sneaky about it, and Mike became what a lot of people like to call a speakeasy derelict or a, or a guy who basically just spent any money he had, any money he could possibly make from from odd jobs here and there and everywhere, and uh, Mike had a, a great stream of odd jobs, but nothing that really paid his bills well enough to even hold down a home. So Mike Malloy... At this point in uh, our story, beginning in 1932, Mike Malloy was a homeless alcoholic man who would stumble into Marino's Speakeasy, which is up on East 177th Street in the Bronx in New York City at this time. He would find his way stumbling in there and just doing his best to, I guess, I don't know, numb the pain of his life with a little bit of a drink, plus he was an alcoholic, so he kind of was uh, addicted to it anyhow. And to him, to old Mike, who was basically none the wiser when it came to any of this, probably just thought that this was going to be the the, the end of him anyway. Mike was about 50 years old uh, at this point of the story and just was kind of at the end of his line, so to speak. Now, normally... That would be it. I mean, this story wouldn't be any different than any other guy in the 30s during the Depression, down in his luck. You know, unemployment in the New York City area at this time was 50 fucking percent, 50-5-0 percent. So a lot of people, an awful lot of people, were down on their luck at this time. And Mike Malloy was absolutely no exception to the rule. Now... Like I was saying, this is probably where the story would end with him. He is no more special than anybody else, except that Mike sort of gathered the eye of a few men around him in Marino's Speakeasy. These guys would eventually 
be known as the the murder trust an, an interesting an interesting name that the uh, the New York headlines put out for those guys but their names were Tony Marino Joe Murphy known as Joe Red Murphy Francis Pasqua Hershey Green and Daniel Kreisberg so these five guys including Tony Marino the the uh, proprietor at Marino's Speakeasy saw Mike Malloy and knew about Mike and figured, oh, this is going to be a dude who I think we can pull a fucking scheme off of and we're going to make some goddamn money. And who's going to miss this guy anyway? I mean, look at this dude. He's just some, you know, just some Irish dude, just some Mick that that who who gives a shit about this guy. He's homeless. He's a fucking alcoholic. Man, we're just going to make so much money off him. So these five guys uh, over a drink in 1932 came up with a plan where they sort of figured, hey, like we said, nobody's going to miss this guy. Nobody knows about this guy. This guy is, is homeless. He has no family. Nobody cares about him. And look at him. And they, and when they looked at him, they they sort of noticed, and especially Pasqua, uh, who is an undertaker by trade, Noticed that that Malloy had this real kind of sloping figure to him uh, in the slack mouth. And and Pasqua just saw this guy and said, yep, this dude is this knocking on. He's like, I've seen a dead guy or two in my day. And this guy is basically dead man walking. This guy is knocking on death's door. And I think we can really do something with this. And, you know, Malloy had been drinking at Marino's bar. Uh, for a while, and Marino had felt bad for him for a little bit, you know, just he knew the guy was down on his luck, so he let him pay, you know, on credit, so to speak. But eventually, as Malloy would often do, he would come in in the morning, and he'd say, oh, yeah, another morning's morning, if you don't mind. And he would come in and just drink himself silly, like he would drink and pass out on the fucking floor of this guy's speakeasy. And for a while... Marino felt bad for him, and eventually Marino did not feel bad for him and was pissed off that he was basically wasting money on Malloy's insane drinking habit. So Malloy and then the other four men of the murder trust decided that they were going to make some money on Mike Malloy by taking out insurance, health insurance, or health insurance, life insurance on this guy. And then when he died and they figured that he was going to die very easily and very soon from his insane drinking habit, they would all collect the money, split it five ways, bada bing, bada boom. It was tough making money in the Depression, and these guys figured that any scheme was worth trying. So this was five guys and their scheme to try to make a bunch of money on the life of Mike Malloy. Now, they figured, okay— well, this should be fucking easy. You know, they they spent all this time in the bar. They knew Mike from being in the bar all the time. And they figured, great, you know, what's what's the one you know, what's the one barrier for Mike that he has that that we can just get rid of to make this happen. And the barrier was Mike was poor and homeless. Mike didn't have any money. Mike didn't have a place to live. Mike didn't have any source of income. So since Marino had basically just been getting him on credit and then had stopped, you know, giving him drinks for free and then Mike, you know, basically would either not come to drink much or pay much or whatever it was, he wasn't, you know, drinking to his, I guess, fullest potential, so to speak, at this speakeasy. 
So these guys figured, oh, we'll just cut the brakes, so to speak. We're just going to cut the brakes, and we're just going to let him drink as much as he wants. Fuck it. We'll just get him as drunk as he wants every single night. Who gives a shit? We are going to basically, we're going to cut the brakes on his drinking habit, and he is going to crash this car and die, and we're going to get our life insurance. So first of all, these guys went down to Metropolitan Life and Prudential, and took out fake life insurance policies for a man named Nicholas Mellory, who was Mike Malloy. Um, but since he was homeless and difficult to track, there basically would be no questions asked anyhow. So they go and take three policies out between these two companies for a Nicholas Mellory. And Joe Red Murphy poses his brother, quote unquote, Joe Mellory, signed as the beneficiary, and they were off. So they figure, great. This should be really easy. Look at this guy. He is as dead as dead can be, just, just waiting for it to happen. So let's just let him drink like crazy. So they, you know, pat him on the back and, hey, old Mike, how's it going, man? Let's let's have a drink. Let's celebrate life. Let's let's go and, and see how this goes. Let's see what would happen. And they give him drinks. And they give him drinks. And they give him shots. And he is going crazy. And they're putting the bottle on the table. And Mike Malloy... You know, who knows if if Mike ever really questioned why all of a sudden he went from barely being able to afford alcohol and getting a few drinks here and there to being treated like, you know, like royalty at this speakeasy he'd been going to forever. So who knows if he ever actually questioned why anything changed. They didn't tell him anything. They just kind of were giving him booze. And maybe maybe he thought he was already dead anyway, that it was just going to be fun on the way out. So he didn't say anything about it. He just accepted their their drinks like it was nothing. So Malloy would come in. He would drink with the boys. He would pass the fuck out. And then he would come back again. He'd drink all day. He would pass out. And he would come back again. He would drink all day. He would pass out, and much to their surprise, he would continue coming back. Like, he should have been about as dead from either alcohol poisoning or, you know, just massive cirrhosis of the liver as somebody who's been a heavy alcoholic their entire life might come by. But for some reason, some divine force somewhere was keeping old Iron Mike Malloy alive continually and every night he would come in and just pound the booze I mean he put down a handle of of booze and then passed the fuck out like in the middle of a speakeasy around a bunch of strange people and his buddies the the murder trust and he would pass out and he would come back again the next day after he had left and on and on he would go and this was pissing these guys off they thought this was going to be an easy score they were looking for somebody to take advantage of. They see Mike Malloy. They see uh, a guy who has basically drunk himself into a grave anyway. Well, hell, cool. We'll just get some life insurance policies on this dude, and we'll just take away his his barrier from drinking, which is his lack of money, and we'll just let nature take its course. Well, nature was taking a little bit too long for these guys to take his course, so they figured, well, after all these days of him just drinking himself silly— we need to take matters into our own hands and we may need to make this a little bit more ridiculous. Now that we're pissed off, okay, they decided to up the ante a little bit. Now, uh, uh, Red Murphy understood that 
and this is a this is back in a time when you know it was obviously during the depression and during prohibition as well. So for so people who couldn't really access the speakeasies as well, there were people who were who were drinking you know drinks cut with wood alcohol back in the day. Now it said that uh, about something with about four percent wood alcohol drank you know drank enough over time would cause blindness. And by 1929, the beginning of the Depression, more than 50,000 people across the United States had died from the effects of impure alcohol, usually cut with wood alcohol. Well, these guys decided instead of just tainting his drinks with wood alcohol, they were just going to give old Iron Mike Malloy shots straight up of wood alcohol instead of the shots of whiskey and gin that they were giving him. They figure, oh, this is a really sweet idea. Here we go. So Kreisberg... Uh, and Murphy go down to a nearby paint shop and buy a bunch of cans of wood alcohol where they bring him back to the bar. Marino is 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 plying Malloy with regular, you know, cheap whiskey shots that he'd been giving him the entire time to kind of get him feeling good. And then they go and make the switch. So they start giving Malloy a bunch of shots of wood alcohol straight up out of these cans. Now, he doesn't see him pour them, obviously. But they do that. He drinks them. He keeps asking for more, and he drinks more, all the while not displaying any physical symptoms other than just being drunk. You know, it it was nuts. It, this guy's drinking straight-up wood alcohol, and these guys are just, like, sitting there around him just just looking at him like, oh, yeah, this is going to fucking get him. Oh, this is perfect. And then he just keeps drinking it, and he asks for more of it because he's such a booze hound that he's just like, oh, cool, these guys are giving me more free booze. I don't give a shit. I love it. Thanks, guys. I would like some more. And they're just just absolutely jaws to the floor, speechless at this point. And I guess since wood alcohol wasn't going to be enough for these guys, they then started to substitute in antifreeze. Malloy would drink it until he passed out, wake up, and he would come back for more. Then they gave him turpentine. Then they give him horse liniment. And finally, they gave him fucking rat poison. He did not die. Malloy was unkillable. Unkillable. Wood alcohol, antifreeze, turpentine, horse liniment, rat poison. Nothing they gave this guy. And they gave it to him in insane quantities over multiple nights. Nothing was killing him. And it was just baffling. Like, oh shit, who did we just pick up here? Who did we pick? What, what the fuck is this guy's deal? Okay, well, let's try something different. Pasqua gets this idea. Uh, that if you soak raw oysters in the aforementioned wood alcohol, that this would become this insanely like poisonous, deadly thing that would uh, most certainly this was going to be the thing. This was going to be the thing that 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 finally kills the guy. Oysters marinated in denatured wood alcohol. Let's see what happens. So they soak these oysters in this wood alcohol. They're sitting behind the bar for hours and hours and hours in this. They eventually pop the the jar of oysters open again, give it to Mike to eat because he's a hungry, drunk guy, and he just eats them all. He doesn't give a shit. He eats every single fucking oyster, all this wood alcohol. Nothing happens. Nothing happens at all. Eventually, they decide to try it with... uh, they find an ancient can of sardines somewhere, uh, probably extremely rotten sardines. They make a fucking sandwich for Mike, but not any sort of sardine sandwich. 
it's a sardine sandwich in which they add, they got bread. All right, good start. Good start to a sandwich. We got some bread. Got some old-ass rotten sardines. Okay. These things probably have all kinds of crazy bacteria and nasty shit inside of them, so we'll put those on the, the bread we got here. Uh, how about we put some carpet tacks? Carpet tacks. A bunch of sharp-ass carpet tacks in the sandwich. Uh, that's good. Go with that. How about we add some broken glass? To add broken glass into the sandwich. And then they take the fucking tin that it came up into, and they chop it up, ground it up as much as they can, and they add that to the fucking sandwich. And Malloy ate the goddamn sandwich, and it didn't kill him. What the fuck? How do you eat a sandwich with rotten fish and broken glass and tacks and fucking ground up tin in it? And still, a, a guy who sh- literally could have been should have been looked at the wrong way and dropped over dead eats this fucking sandwich with hurriedly, you know, he's delighted at the entire thing. And still, still Iron Mike Malloy doesn't die. One night there in the middle of this insane treatment of Mr. Malloy just pouring wood alcohol and what God knows what else down his throat, and Malloy falls in a crumpled heap on the floor. Oh, shit, they all think, oh, finally, oh, this is the time. It's happening. After all the bullshit we went through, it is fucking happening. This dude is going to die. So they just kind of all stand around him silently, kind of staring at this jumbled heap on the floor by him. Malloy just passed the fuck out. Pasqua goes and kneels down by Malloy's body, trying to feel his neck for a pulse, and lowers his ear to the mouth to see if he's breathing. Malloy is breathing very slowly and with a lot of labor. So they decide to wait, figuring that as they wait, eventually nature will take its course and Malloy is going to die right here in front of them and they're going to be able to collect that sweet, sweet insurance money. Okay, so let's hang out. Let's wait. Any minute now. Any minute now. Come on, Mike. You can die. You can do it. Finally, a long, jagged breath crackles through the bar, and they figure, okay, that's his death rattle. That's the last one. Boom, he's done. Nope, that's just Malloy snoring because his ass just drunkenly passed out on the floor. They they just sigh. He eventually wakes up a couple hours later, rubs his eyes, and then leaves the bar and comes back later. So at this point, the murder trust is thinking, Jesus Christ, there is literally nothing we can put in his body that he will eat that is going to kill him. In any way. He's unkillable from the inside. So we're going to have to fuck with him from the outside. I mean, this is becoming cost prohibitive at this point. We can't just keep feeding him booze and wasting booze. And they had to keep paying the... the by the way, they still had to pay the monthly insurance premiums. Because they figured, well, we'll take the, the... We'll take it out. We'll take the insurance policy out. And he'll die very quickly. And everything will, will work out well. Except that he wouldn't die, and it was taking forever, and they actually had to pay premiums on their insurance. They had to buy all this wood alcohol. They bought all this other bullshit. And it was getting to the point where they could not afford to try to kill him like this anymore. So, okay, what can we do now? What can we do that's going to definitely kill this guy? What what can we definitely do that's going to murder this dude? Well, it had gotten to be the winner in New York City, and if you've ever experienced a winter in the northern hemisphere or even in the northeast specifically 
of the United States, it can get extremely, extremely cold. So one night, when it is very cold, and, and they say that temperatures that night reached negative 14 degrees Fahrenheit. That is extremely fucking cold. 14 below zero is is cold to anyone, anywhere. There's nothing you can say or do about that being something that is, I mean, literally exposure to that can kill a person. And they counted on that being the case. So they get Malloy, the murder trust, in the bar. They're at Marino's. They get him super fucking hammered, as per the usual. They get Malloy ultra hammered, ultra fucked up until he does his thing where he passes out. And they decide, okay, instead of just waiting for him to maybe die in the bar, we're going to actually pick him up and take him to a park outside and we're going to dump him in the snow. So they take him out. They go to uh, Cretona Park. And they lug his unconscious body out. They drag him through a bunch of snow. They they strip his shirt off. Throw him in the snow. They dump like a bunch of water on the guide. I'm trying to read here how much water. It doesn't really matter that much. It's just a lot. They dump what looks like about five gallons Five, Jesus Christ, five gallons of water poured on his bare chest, and then they leave him, figuring that they're going to come back the next day. They're going to discover Mike obviously fucking frozen to death because of how goddamn cold it was outside, and that was going to be the end of it. That was going to be the end. Mike was finally going to die, except that Mike is fucking unbreakable, and the coldness a little bit later actually tends to it just woke him up somehow and he decided oh I better go home now I'm too drunk I don't know why what I'm doing out here in the park and I'm all fucking freezing cold in water I better just wander on to wherever I'm I'm going to wander on and eventually he shows up at the bar again much to these guys' extreme chagrin still alive still unkillable Mike Malloy so let's take a tally so far We got booze up the ass. I mean, booze fucking everywhere. Cheap, shitty, pushing booze down your throat. We got turpentine. We've got wood alcohol. We've got rat poison. We've got horse liniment. We've got fucking oysters dipped in wood alcohol. We got a goddamn sandwich, rotten sardines with carpet tacks and poison in it and glass and tin ground up. And then we have a night in negative 14 degree Fahrenheit weather, water poured over his chest. Nothing. Not a single goddamn one of these things kills the man who should have been dead from somebody sneezing on the wrong way. Mike Malloy still not dead. And these guys at this point are, as you can tell, with their plan going completely and utterly awry, you know, they are, they're furious. They're absolutely furious that their plan isn't working out and almost furious that there's, it feels almost like there's nothing they can do. Like, this guy is some sort of fucking Highlander. He's some sort of immortal Scotsman, I guess, now, instead of being Irishman. He's some sort of immortal uh, samurai. Only this guy just drinks, and that's it. How the hell are we going to kill this guy? Okay, we got another plan. How well we try this plan out? They decide, well, I guess the best way we're going to kill the guy is to hit him with a fucking car. That'll that'll do it. That'll show him. That will kill his ass. So, the, in in true like mobster fashion, these guys all are are trying to figure out a way that they can get a, a car 
that's going to just blast this dude. So they hook up with a guy named John Maglioni, you know, cue Godfather music. John Maglioni in his cab service offers the services of his cab driver friend named Harry Green, who they were going to cut in 150 bucks from the insurance money that they were hoping to collect this whole time to just run straight into fucking Malloy. So in, in a scene from a movie, it could only be written in a movie, every one of the, the murder trusts piles into Green's cab, including a super-hammered Malloy, who they had, had once again plied full of alcohol at the bar. They throw him into the cab. They drive a few blocks away, and they stop. Uh, a couple of the guys get out. They drag Malloy down the street. They hold him up, and they figure, okay, we got him held up. Let's just do it. Green guns the engine, and then he stops. He Green figures he saw a, a woman turning on a light in her room, and he got spooked. But they go, okay, okay, here we go, here we go. They they put Malloy in the road again. Uh, the other two guys kind of let off um, from him. They're not standing next to him at this point. Malloy's just kind of stumbling around in the middle of the street. Uh, Green then hits the gas, trying to smash him. Somehow, Malloy leaps out of the way two times during these attempts to hit him. So sort of drunken kung fu, Malloy dodges this moving car two times. On the third try, Green hits Malloy at 50 fucking miles an hour. Somehow he goes up to 50 miles an hour in some 1930s car, smashes into Malloy at 50 miles an hour. They hear two giant thuds, one loud one when he hits the car and one soft one as he rolls over the top and falls onto the ground. They then, for good measure back up over him on the cab. They figure he is, at this point, super dead, right? They, I mean, we just smashed this dude at 50 miles an hour straight up with the car, and then we ran his ass over again when it's done. They got spooked. They leave. They go, okay, perfect, perfect, perfect. Def this had to kill him. For sure, this had to kill him. So, Joe Murphy, R Joe Red Murphy, who had been cast as uh, Joe Mellory, the fictional brother of the fictional Nicholas Mellory, who was Mike Malloy, goes around and acting as Nick's brother, goes and calls morgues and hospitals, and these guys are all scouring the papers in an attempt to figure out if a guy had been killed in a taxi collision accident. No one had any information, and there was nothing in the newspapers that said this. These guys are flabbergasted, but they figure, okay, well, maybe that's just the end of it. Maybe he is dead, but something happened where we, we can't get any confirmation of it, whatever. Five days later, Pasqua and the gang are actually trying to kill another anonymous drunk guy to try to pass him off as Nicholas Mellory. I mean, these guys are so fucking desperate for their insurance money. They're going to figure, okay, well, it's not working for our, our buddy Mike Malloy. We'll just find some other drunk Irish guy. We'll pretend he's Nicholas Mellory. We'll kill his ass. And pick up the money. Five days later, ding, 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 door to the Marino speakeasy swings open, and here comes Mike Malloy, fucking bandaged up, fucked up, battered up, concussed, broken bones, just looking a little bit worse for the wear, saying, I sure am dying for a drink, he says. Jesus Christ, still they could not kill this guy. Still couldn't kill him. At this point, they are they are fucking furious and pissed off, and it's just gonna be okay. What can we finally do to kill this guy? So, on February 21st of 1933, seven months after they had first convened the idea and gotten the insurance policies to murder Mike Malloy, 
they finally get him. They finally get him. So they get him rip-roaring drunk at the bar. They take him to the the tenement that he had been sort of, the, the tenement at uh, 168th Street, about a mile away from their speakeasy. He's drunk in the room. They throw him on the bed. They rip the tube from the gas light that they would normally use. They rip a tube that is now just connected directly to the gas line, shove it in his mouth, turn on the gas, and eventually poor Iron Mike Malloy succumbs to uh, death by carbon monoxide poisoning and uh, real bad uh, pneumonia, and and, and he's, he's dead. So Mike Malloy, after nine attempts, they say, nine or ten, but nine for sure, maybe ten attempts, Mike Malloy is finally murdered. Okay? <laughs> they They got their wish, right? They finally got him. The murder trust finally got Mike Malloy. The dude's dead. Okay, so now what would we do? Okay, so, well, they go and get a, uh, a real corrupt doctor, Dr. Frank Manzella. They pay him 100 bucks, and he signs a death certificate for, quote, Nicholas Mallory, the fake Nicholas Mallory, citing lobar pneumonia as the cause of his death. Manzella, the doctor, also falsely claims that Malloy had been to his doctor's office in Harlem twice. He had not, obviously. And, um, you know, contributes this 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 complaint that he had of this this uh, respiratory infection as well as uh, acute bronchitis and other things as, you know, having contributed eventually to his lobar pneumonia and his death. Well, they OK, now they've got dead Mike Malloy, who is Nicholas Mellory in their, you know, insurance eyes. They've got the death certificate written by the doctor as the proof of death. So they march on down. Uh, Frank Pasqua, the guy, he marches right on down to MetLife, and MetLife promptly gave him 800 bucks, as was agreed upon for that particular insurance policy. Okay, there you go. They've got, he's got his insurance policy. And even as, a, as an interesting final insult, Pasqua, in front of all of these insurance agents, you know, sadly and tear-free, tearfully writes out a $400 check and says, I'm going to take this check and I'm going to buy everything I can for a real lavish funeral because of, of this this dear friend of mine, you know, but my buddy, Nicholas Mallory. In, in reality, he put Mike in a $10 coffin and buried him in a $12 grave. He didn't even bother to embalm the body. This would turn out to be the murder trust's, uh, their downfall. Because embalming and, and doing what you would normally do to a dead body once it is dead probably would have saved these guys from their ultimate fate. But, of course, he didn't because I'm sure he was sick up to his ears of having anything to do with Mike Malloy. So instead, they just throw him in a coffin and, and dump him underground. Now, this is when the red flags start going up. So on March 18th, a guy named Tony Bastoni, Tony Bastoni, course another italian guy uh in a gangster action uh in new york in the 30s was shot dead in a machine gun shooting he was a local gangster and he was acquainted with everybody at the marino's speakeasy now you recall joseph maglioni he was charged with this man's murder joseph maglioni the guy who was in charge of the cab service that blasted malloy's ass at 50 miles an hour with a cab Joe Maglioni was charged with the murder of this guy. And Red Murphy, who we've spoken about a couple times, was taken into custody as a witness for this 
this this unrelated to Mike Malloy murder. Okay, so there are agents now from Prudential trying to track down now Joseph Mellory, who Red Murphy had been playing. They couldn't find him because they wanted to pay out the two remaining insurance policies they had taken out. They got suspicious. Okay, all the time that this was happening, this crazy tall tale of Iron Mike Malloy and this murder trust trying to kill him was spreading around all through New York City, all through the Bronx and into Manhattan and into the, to Harlem and everywhere, all the five boroughs, all over New York City, all over these speakeasies, this, this tale of this unkillable guy, Mike Malloy, was spreading around, and in this was starting to turn heads. Eventually, some neighborhood cops catch wind of this tale, and the DA, Sam Foley, decides, oh, okay, this is some crazy bullshit. I'm going to start an investigation. Here we go. So he orders Mike Malloy's body to be dug up and given a proper autopsy. So they go, and they dig up Mike Malloy from his $12 grave, pop open his $10 casket, excuse me. Unfortunately, as I mentioned just a couple of minutes ago, forensic pathology and toxicology was a burgeoning science in New York in the 1930s, and it was pretty pretty decent for the time and poor Mike Malloy poor fucked up Mike Malloy was not embalmed was not drained none of that stuff happened like you would normally undergo um posthumously during uh, you know funeral proceedings it was just a dead body buried in a casket underground Dr. Hockman a, uh, a physician who performed the full body autopsy on Malloy's body on May 11th found what People familiar with carbon monoxide poisoning will see, which is a telltale cherry red discoloration all over the body. His verdict or his diagnosis was asphyxiation by carbon monoxide. Okie dokie. Now this is something different. What do we got going now? The very next day, Marino, Murphy, Pasqua, Kreisgerg, and Green all were arrested and charged with Mike Malloy's murder. They were charged with first degree murder. Now, Green was already in custody on gun charges, and Kreisberg, who had been arrested on a separate robbery and assault case, was also in custody already. Dr. Frank Manzella, the guy who uh, forged, I guess, or, or mistakenly signed those death certificates, was also arrested that day as an accessory to murder. Eventually, these guys were basically put through the rounds and uh, in, in sort of an insane sort of, of interrogation and trial, basically every single guy except Marino started to rat out the other guys, basically saying uh, all kinds of things like, oh, it was all their fault. It was their idea. I was intimidated into doing this. Um, uh, Tony Bastone, uh, Tony Bastoni, the guy who had been shot and killed by uh, Joe Maglioni's crew, they had... Uh, accused him of intimidating them, saying that he was the mastermind of the whole thing and that they were going to have to kill uh, Mike Malloy. And when they did it, it was going to be, you know, them collecting the money and giving it to him. And it was back and forth. And you did it. You no, know, he did it. And this and that. Um, Marino just kind of stood there and said, oh, I'm fucking insane. He pleaded insanity. He was not given reprieve. And eventually, all five members of the murder trust were found guilty uh, first mur- first degree murder all of them would be then uh, sentenced to death 
all of them were taken to the Sing Sing prison in New York City, where they were all sent to the electric chair. And you'll be interested, I guess, to know that the electric chair killed every single one of these guys on the very first try. And that's it, you guys. That is no fact or any other bullshit in this episode. That is, that's it. That's the whole story of Iron Mike Malloy, durable Mike Malloy, and, and a strange tale of a man who could basically not be killed even after eating a sandwich with ground-up glass and stuff in it. So that's it, guys. That's 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 your mini-episode. Hope you enjoyed that fun little story. We will be back again on Friday with another full-blown episode. You can find me on Twitter at Kyle Steinhauser. You can find me on Instagram at Kyle F. Steinhauser. You can find our group, Search Knowledge on the Couch podcast on Facebook, and find us there. Please tell somebody about the podcast if you think they'd like it. Um, I love hearing from you guys. You can email the show, knowledgecouch at gmail.com if you would like to that way, or you can message me or DM me or whatever you want if you would like to, you know, talk about the show or whatever you'd like to do. Um, this upcoming Friday's episode, I will read the first review I ever got for the show from Apple Podcasts. Um, if you are on one of those or you're on Stitcher, I know that Apple Podcasts and Stitcher both allow people to leave ratings. So even if you so if you are an, an an iPhone user and you listen to this show through Apple Podcasts, definitely go leave a five-star rating and write whatever the fuck you want. I will read it on the show. Um, if you are an Android person and you don't use Stitcher, uh, download Stitcher quick or even just go to Stitcher's website on your desktop. Um, find my podcast there, rate it, and leave a review. Eventually that review will be postulated over to my feed and I will see it. And I will read it on the, the show. So make it as weird and stupid as you want. I will read it. I don't care what you write. Even if it's actually mean. I don't give a shit. I will read it. Anyhow, guys, until the full-blown episode on Friday, I will be studying for my boards test and going nuts that way. Until then, you guys, thanks for listening. I am out of here. Please don't talk about me when I'm gone Oh honey